Welcome to another episode of the Following Films Podcast. In today's installment, we dive headfirst into the realm of true crime as we unravel the mysteries surrounding the intriguing docuseries, The Curious Case of Natalia Grace. I'm your host, Chris Maynard, and I couldn't be more excited to be joined by our special guest today, legal expert, Beth Carras. Beth has an extensive background in covering high-profile trials and has become a trusted voice in the true crime community. The Curious Case of Natalia Grace is a thought-provoking and controversial docuseries that delves into the puzzling story of a young girl whose true identity and age have been called into question. In this episode, we take a look at the complex web of evidence, testimonies, and legal proceedings that surround Natalia Grace's case. Before we dive into our conversation, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Bookman's. Bookman's is not just a bookstore. It's a community of book lovers, collectors, and enthusiasts. With their extensive selection of new and used books, movies, music, and more, Bookman's is a treasure trove for anyone seeking intellectual adventures. We appreciate their support in bringing you this episode. If you'd like to support the following film's podcast, one of the simplest ways you can do it is by following the show on Spotify. It really does help. If you'd like to become a financial supporter of the show, check out the show notes and click the support us link. The Curious Case of Natalia Grace is currently available on ID. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Watch this? I did. Of course. Yeah. We watched uh, all six episodes over the weekend. You did? Yeah. 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 It was something where um, me and my wife, we started the first episode and it was just, okay, I'll just get enough to level set, see what's going on with this. And it, I we couldn't put it down. This was just right. something that we, it, this story was so... I had no idea. And still, I have a lot of questions in leaving this and that I love stories like this just because it causes you to question a lot of things that you make assumptions about. And just for people who aren't familiar with this case, could you possibly kind of level set a little bit and talk about um, what, what what this case was and what were the legal questions that were at play? Sure. So this is a, a case, a story about a, a child who was adopted from Ukraine in 2008 by a family in New Hampshire when she was supposedly four years old. That family was trying to unload her pretty quickly within a year or so to other little families, little people. And she, cause she was a, she was a child with dwarfism plus a, di- uh, a disability on top of that. Not that dwarfism is a disability, but it's, she had a, a, a problem with her hips and her bone uh, growth. So they could not find another home for her, and they gave it to an adoption agency in Florida. This is a New Hampshire couple. An Indiana couple adopted her in 2010, and it is the story of that family, the Barnett family that adopted her in 2010, thinking they were adopting a six-year-old girl, and soon came to believe that she was not the person they believed her to be. They had very limited information. But... The whole saga that unfolds in the six hours, the six episodes, involves questions about her true identity, her true age, whether or not the Barnetts treated her properly, legally, fairly, um, because they ended up doing some pretty extraordinary, taking some pretty extraordinary steps and having her re-aged, re-aged, having her age changed, not by a few years, which is what we will often see in international adoptions, but by more than a decade. So it is a story. Did they commit a crime? They were charged with crimes. Did they commit a crime in the way they treated her? Or were they truly terrorized 
by a person they believed was a child who was masquerading as a child, but was truly a sociopathic adult who was out to harm them, maybe even kill them. There's, it's just, the case goes in a lot of directions, <laughs> and there are a lot of stories, and you just sometimes don't know who to believe and who, as I've said it more than once, you know who the true villain is here, or is there more than one? That, that's, I'm sorry, that's not very short. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> it, 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 there's no way of wrapping your head around the story, even by the end of episode two, you really start getting an idea of what's really at play here, um, that it takes a while for the story to re reveal itself, because I don't think there's a way to really get your head around this complex story that quickly. Um, there's so many different elements here. And I, I learned it in pieces as well, right? Okay. Like I was brought in by the production company to help do some analysis, but I was not on the ground floor years ago, right? So they fed me parts of it too. So as I'm giving interviews in this series, sometimes I'm learning it <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. I'm sort of going through what the viewer's going through, but I've, I've had a little bit of a head start. But it's not like at the beginning I knew a, a whole lot. I didn't. And when I say my head was spinning, that I was flip-flopping, that is a completely honest statement because I was I was sort of doing my own investigation uh, like the viewer is throughout the series. Yeah. And, and we're hoping that the viewers, you know, sort of are, you know, grab it. They're grabbed by the storyline quickly and then get invested and try to figure it out. Because frankly, I don't know where the truth is. And I do lean in one direction. I won't tell you which, but I, w I do lean in one direction. Um, but there are just too many variations to the stories for me to feel like we, we know the absolute truth. Oh, oh, I 100% agree with you. And the thing that happens because of the way that you're, you were given this information and that you didn't come to this project with this preconceived notion of this is exactly what happened, you become the de facto voice for the audience. That there's moments in this where you're actively pushing against and saying, okay, I don't trust this person that's talking one bit. And then you come in and say, okay, well, I don't trust this either. Have you thought about these things? And you're where it's almost like you're having a conversation with the audience about the facts that we're seeing. And are these facts, are these misleading? And as we dull out this information, we're all kind of arriving. I think that there's some room for interpretation in the end of this but I would be really hard pressed to see somebody who given the facts as I've seen them and I haven't dug into this beyond watching this documentary because I didn't want to spoil seems like the wrong word, but I wanted to take this journey with this particular docu-series. I didn't want to end up leaning ahead of it. I just wanted to know where it was giving this information. I want to find out more now at this point, but it's, if that makes sense. So it's, so it's something that I think that there is some ambiguity in the end that that last episode, it could, I could see people having two very different reads on it. Absolutely. And I'm glad that your assessment is what it is, because I think that's what we were hoping that the series would would do, is that my voice would simply be a voice. It, I'd be raising issues that the viewers may be yeah. raising. So and and you, you said in the first few hours, we've achieved that, which is which is good. Um, and I, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, there's nothing magical about, you know, being a lawyer here. I'm a legal analyst. You know, law school just gives you the tools. But so I think a certain way, you know, an analytical. But the the viewers are like the 13th juror in a, in a trial. Right. And yeah. so, you know, you're the fact finders. And I was looking for the facts as well, you know, as an investigator. So, um, yeah, I'm glad we're on this journey together. 
it's, you know, it, it's a journey that will continue. I mean, I, I don't want to give any spoilers because, you know, people who li are listening to this may not have seen this series or all of it yet. But because of certain things that ended, you know, like there's a there was a certain milestone in the journey yeah. um, recently, maybe more information will be available. We'll see. Because right now, up until then, I don't know that you could have found more information than what's in this documentary out there okay. in the public domain. And that's something that I, I I wouldn't be surprised if this is something that there does need to be a addendum. You know, at some point in time, there could be a seventh chapter of the story at some point because yeah, there, this is clearly not the end of it. It's still a something that I highly recommend watching because it's not something that you feel dissatisfied that you were let off the hook, but it is something that I think that it has a conclusion that for me personally, I was satisfied with where I felt like, okay, I have a definite opinion of this, but there's this one very clear thread that again, don't want to give anything away, but that is open in the end of this that I think will need to be closed eventually. I also, what I love about this series is that it doesn't just feed you the information and tell no. you what the end result is. No. Right? I, I, it's great because it's, it's very thought provoking. Um, and so it kind of breaks the the formula for a lot of shows that have mm -hmm. a beginning, middle, and end. And here, you hear as much as we know, um, and things are, in, to a certain extent, things are inconclusive on so, some points. I mean, quite frankly, I don't know how old Natalia is. Yeah. I Can we talk a little bit about what re-aging normally looks like, the legal process behind that. Because it feels like this may have been a little bit out of step with what that normal process looks like. Was this typical? So that's a good question. This is not in my experience as an attorney to do this re-aging, but what I know about general procedures is that a hearing is held, meaning it's not just argument from the lawyers, but testimony is actually taken. Sure. And in this case, a judge granted an emergency petition based on an affidavit by a, a doctor and did not actually take testimony and hear from Natalia, for example. And this was in 2013 when she was re-aged. I'm sorry, 2012 when she was re-aged. And um, that was atypical, okay? Yeah. Because with the stroke of a pen, she had a new age. She had a new birth date. Typically, is more of a full-blown hearing. And that actually did happen years later here, I mean, a different judge years later did hear testimony and came up with the same result. And the the, the formula that was used here, um, and because there was a, there, this was, there was precedent that this age was established by the court, that this is what a legal document now that exists that says this is the age of this child, there's a birth certificate now, or whatever that is. At that point in time, when there becomes questions about child abandonment, anything like that, you have to go back, I'm assuming from a legal point of view to that document. And whether that's right or wrong, you have to look back to that point in time, or you have to separately relitigate that re-aging. Is that something that's even possible? So sure, it's possible, but and that's what the prosecution wanted to do, but the judge wouldn't allow it. Okay. He's like, nope, I'm not going to second guess another judge. This is what it is. And um, thankfully, from a prosecutor's point of view, they had a, two sets of charges, which were mirror images based on different theories. One theory was that she was neglected and abandoned as a mm -hmm. child. The other theory was that she was neglected and abandoned as a dependent person. That didn't, age didn't, wasn't relevant. As a dependent person, she had a disability. 
you know, a dependent person can be elderly, can be disabled, doesn't have to be a child, but dependent is a child also. So there's different theories here. So all the child neglect charges had to get dismissed. Um, and, and if there were only child neglect charges, say she didn't have a disability, right? then the judge, I suspect the judge would have just dismissed the charges and there never would have been a trial. Wow. Um, then can we talk a little bit about the... The responsibility of parents, because one of these questions that was raised during this is when you have an adoptive child, when you adopt a kid, the parent responsibility at that point that if you do end up adopting a child that is being seen as a sociopath, that there are these reports that are coming along, that this is a dangerous child. Is it common for that to be pushed back? What recourse would parents normally have to handle that situation? Well, you know, parents can go back to and have attempted to give children back okay. to the adoption agency. I mean, we it became an international spectacle when a Russian child was was returned to Russia yeah, I, yeah. some years ago. Um, so that didn't go over well. Um, but this was a closed adoption. And there was very limited information um, available to them. And they, they couldn't even find out the name of the prior family that had her, which but they did find out from that luggage tag as you right. as you learn in the first um first few episodes first episode or two. Um but really they have to do what any parent would do. I mean they're they're like the biological parent. They're the parents of this child, you know, get her help. Yeah. Get her, you know, get her help. I mean they've they've adopted her. They have assumed the role of the parent. And um to terminate the adoption would be very difficult. So, I mean, and they did though. They did try to get her therapy and and you know had her institutionalized. They they were taking steps. Mm-hmm. The question is um, whether they be were they being completely you know honest with the uh, with the authorities, with the with the doctors, the therapists. You know, was Natalia really doing and saying these things? Was she being forced to do these things? Was she? Did she know better? Was she a child? Is she acting out because the early years of her life she had been abused and she didn't know her boundaries? I mean, they're, yeah. I do think they did, they took the steps that parents would normally take for their, their own children. I mean, they did a great job with Jacob, who was, you know, on the spectrum, but not a behavioral problem. Today's episode of the following films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. I'm joined today by my son, Jacob. Jacob, say hello to old people. Oh, there you go. You're already on it. So, Jacob, when you go to Bookman's, what is it that you like to look at? What I do you like, like to get? To get toys uh, and movies and, and the coffee news. You like to look at the movies and you like to get the coffee news, the newspaper they have out front? That's yes. great. So, last time we went into Bookman's, I picked up a movie. Um, what movie did I get, Jacob? A stick. As it hurts of the uh, ex, uh, as the cover. Sorry, sorry. I so no, no, you're okay. Would you talk a little bit about what you see on the cover of Escape from New York on this Blu-ray that I got? So based on this cover, you see grass shattered and also the Statue of Liberty's face fell apart because. In this movie, Escape from New York, is the introduction is a man trying to save the president's daughter, and New York turns into a prison in this movie. And there's the hero, as you can see, very strong, in fact. Oh, yeah. Now, this is one of my favorite movies. I love this movie. Now, you're too young to watch it because you're only six years old, but do you think in a couple of years from now, when you get a little bit older, you'll want to check out Escape from New York? Yeah. 
Yes. Okay. What's a movie that you've seen that we picked up at Bookman's that you like? Come here. Talk so that people can hear you. A Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors. That's a great movie. So when you're going to Bookman's, you can get movies, DVDs, Blu-rays, 4K, Laserdisc, VHS. You can also get comic books, books, newspapers, magazines, home furnishings. Uh, you can get tons of stuff there. Because remember, Bookman's has your cool covered. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Yay, that was a good idea. Well, that's, um, I have a seven-year-old that reminded, oddly enough, that his name is Jacob as well, and he's on the spectrum, and there was a lot there where I'm, that kid just was the entry point for me from that family to this story, was the one mm-hmm. voice that I always believed. It was the one person in this that's not from the outside that I felt like mm-hmm. there was the one person I can trust. There's my anchor into what actually happened here. And that never wavered throughout this process that I felt like, at least from what I was shown, that this was the one person that I didn't think that they were trying to manipulate me at any given Despite time. Despite the hot mic incident? Sure. sure. Spoil it. Okay. Yeah. It, 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 even in that moment, what I'm thinking is that there's a there's there's information that he doesn't know that he wants to get it to go into, but it's there is a level of protection, but I feel like there, he's not misdirecting. It's just not right. the complete story. And, and those right. are I, lying by omission when it comes to protecting your parents. I, I don't know that that necessarily, is it in a court? No, that's a different case. But when you're just telling me your story and there's things you want to leave out to protect people that you love, I get that. that that's something yeah. that I never, even with yeah. that, I never really felt that he was uh, yeah. heading down the wrong path with that. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. It's a it's a story full of so many interesting people though, right? Like you just well, you know, you <laughs> That's can't an take understatement. Your eyes off it. Yeah. <laughs> Even when you just you uh, as an audience member are actively just enraged or angered by the people that because there's times you're like I, getting incredibly frustrated by this uh story that you're being told. It's always compelling. I'm always moved forward. It's not something that I am rejecting the story because of the people that's telling it. I'm just I have a lot of doubt in what I'm being told at different times, but I'm always compelled to go forward with it. Right, right. Yeah, the production company had had amazing access to people, and you know, over over years, you know, this was very it's a long term project. You know, yeah. I, I jumped in sort of toward the end when Michael had already done two very long interviews in 2019 and 2022. It's like, or maybe I was he was just giving that second interview, but it's like, what? <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, it's a are, it's a journey. What are the um do you think that this will make changes um going forward? Is has there been precedent set here that was bad precedent that we need to reevaluate in cases like this going forward? Well, I think that this may open up some people's eyes to uh, international adoptions and closed adoptions um and maybe in particular this facility in Hollywood, Florida. <laughs> Um, so I suspect that there could be some fallout because, because of that, um, you know, let's hope because that's, you know, we all want to do journalism that is impactful and that is, you know, part of making a change for the better for people. So, you know, only time will tell, but I think there's a, there's a good chance at least people's awareness will be raised and, you know, it will, people talk about it and maybe it'll make some change. No. Yeah. And I, at the very least, there's certain documentaries that I've seen that have absolutely changed my opinions on things. Um, and this is one that has 
at least had the conversations that me and my wife were having afterwards about the idea of closed adoption and um, the parental rights. And when it becomes, you know, we have two kids and, you know, those things, should we ever think about fostering a child or something along those lines? What does that look like? And what are the responsibilities that we would own at that point? And what can we do? And having that kind of context and the full picture before you make that seems like something that if you're going to bring in this outside person into your house, you need to have a fuller picture than 24 hours. You have to make it. That's like a used car salesman tactic. It's not something that seems like it should be the way you treat a human, if that makes sense. Exactly. And Michael does say that when they got there, jumping on that airplane from Indiana, he was a little surprised at the facility and had said to his wife, check that address again, because this doesn't look like a place where we're going to get a <laughs> child. You know, a little one-story building in a rundown strip mall. It's like, you know, there, there were there were red flags already, but they pushed forward. You know, they seemed to be committed. They had wanted that child in Haiti, but the um, the um, earthquake had occurred some right. months earlier. So, you know, they felt this was, you know, the answer to their prayers. Yeah. And it's, it's just when I, I guess that the, the thought beyond that until the legal system catches up with this, when you have these moments of being as thoughtful as possible with this, that you're opening up your kids to something that you have to be um, more careful with that. And the, I, I can see how, when it's taken away from you, that you, that next decision, when that comes along, you can be impulsive in that moment and make a decision. And I definitely have my opinion about where, the story kind of goes off the rails. And I feel like that first couple of days, that first week of this story feels like everybody's kind of aligned with it. And there's a moment where the age comes into question. It feels like that's sort of the fulcrum. That's the point where this does, where the question of what actually happened really comes into place here. And that's where my kind of like, where I deviate from the story that's being told. If that and so. Makes- Wait, are you saying for you it was in those first few weeks or the first few months? Well, even the first because it's within the first few weeks that they 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 discover there's a possibility that the age could be off here, and then the reaction to okay, what's the full story creates a set of behaviors that we're never really given an insight to. We just have a question about what could have really been happening. We find this out much later, but I think that you either go along with a version that we're being told for a couple episodes or you start to question that. And the more that you question it, the more that the story makes sense to me personally, that there's too many holes otherwise that it just doesn't, I I can't get my head around it, how the rest of this fits in. So, it's so interesting. Have you ever been a juror? Cause you sound like a juror. This is what, (laughs) this is like, this is what, this is what you do, right? When you're, I haven't been a juror, but I've been a trial lawyer and you, you, you you get the facts, right? And I do, you haven't seen everything like tested through direct and cross-examination, but kind of a little bit. I mean, I, I try to bring that kind of right. stuff up. And so you, you're trying to figure out the facts. I mean, like a juror. That's why I say, I'm not kidding when I say you're like the viewer, like the 13th juror. Like, yeah. what is the truth here? You know? And, and that's that's the fascinating thing about the story. And I appreciate any narrative that gives me more questions than answers um, that I walk away from it. That's a sign of something that's been well-made, something that um, has deeper implications to it. And I think this is a really fascinating story that actually will inspire conversations and will have people doing more research and wanting a little bit more from the story and thinking about the broader implications of it. So I think this is, uh, to me, that's the fine line between exploitation 
and something that's actually journalism. And I think that this is wholly in the side of journalism where there's a lot of mm-hmm. things that are fall under true crime that I think that there's not really anything other than the scandalous story there, that this has by far to me personally, more depth than that. Right. Right. And, Very insightful. Um, and you know, I, what, what I love about the law is that, well, I love a lot of things about the law, but <laughs> that there are a lot of gray areas, you know, yeah. and, and, um, Things aren't always just sort of black and white, right? Um, and and so what happens in a courtroom is is often because of the advocacy of you know the attorney on one side or the other, like how convincing are, you know they are to to a jury. Um, but here, there nothing is straight up. <laughs> I mean, I, I just I don't know. I I question the veracity or accuracy of the documents from Ukraine. You know, oh, of course, of its, its history of you know, corruption in the government and stuff. And this is, you know, pre, pre the war, of course. I don't know. Um, I'm oh. fascinated. It's I, I've watched the whole thing like you in advance. And I was riveted last night for the first two episodes. I'm going to watch it every night because I just, I can't get enough of it. Cause I read about all these characters yeah. and then seeing them on screen. I wasn't seeing them until I saw the, um, the screeners like you, you know, right. just before it aired. Um, and it just, it's fascinating because I think people, when people say she was a child, she was an adult, based on my observations, my interaction, they they believe what they're saying, and I believe them. Yeah. One of them's wrong, though. And, but they, there's there's that weird possibility that they're both sort of right, where there's the, this in-between area, that gray area where the story actually exists, because I have my absolute opinion on this. But then there's a couple of questions that I still have that don't make sense with what I think happened that you can't, there's certain elements around the accent that don't make sense. But then when you, something that wasn't really gone, that didn't go into too much, knowing being a dad, seeing handwriting, it's just, you you see where that's developed and you can see, okay, is this something that is somebody who's just learning this or is this somebody that's practicing? It's all these little things that don't add up. Not not knowing the Ukrainian language or or having an accent is it's a little bit of a red herring, I think, because children pick up language very quickly. Sure. And when a child is immersed, um, you know, he or she can learn a foreign language without an accent and speak like a native speaker. And I think Natalia, I mean, she came to the United States at four if the birth records are, are accurate, you know, if she was a child when the Ciccones in New Hampshire adopted her. She wouldn't have an accent now, and she might have even lost her her, her native tongue. So, um, the Barnetts are really smart people, and I was really surprised when they were when they they were talking about that. I mean, I don't know how much of it. I don't remember how much of that made it into the show, but the, the Michael did talk about she didn't have an accent. I mean, she was a child. Well, oh no, no, I, I was born in Georgia, and you can pick up how much of my Georgia accent that there's videotape of me that I had when I was a, a kid. I moved to New Jersey, and I lost my accent within a year. It was gone. But there were things that you could pick up every once in a while that would be yeah. there, even for a little while. That it's just that is one of those things that, you know, because if we're looking at the difference between, I think the timeline would be four and six is where that would be. Was yeah. it two, two years? I, I do, would there be any remnants there or not? Because that's literally half her life at that point in time. Right. I don't know. I, right. I don't know. But there's the having the original language. No, of course not. I think that's gone. Um, right. Any memory of it? No. Because if you have kids, you've talked to them about those memories when they're at that age. And you say, so what do you remember of this thing that happened that was pretty big that we all did when you were two and a half years old? They, they're they not establishing those memories yet. Yeah. So it doesn't yeah. exist. We have scenes in our in our minds of our childhoods, right? Just scenes. We can't recount 
years and months even. And I personally feel like a lot of those scenes are sometimes they feel like memories, but they're stories that people have told me. Memory is a weird thing. That's one of the most unreliable pieces of data you can lean on because it's, you tell a story enough times and that's the reality. And when you recount a story multiple times, I don't think you're actually remembering the moment that something happened. You're remembering the story that you've told. It's the rehearsed script that you have. That's why having contemporaneous notes and journals, diary entries is like manna from heaven for a trial attorney who needs to like put a witness on the stand to say something, you know, because memories are faulty or implanted or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, But that's what we always look for. Contemporaneous notes. You've got journal entries. Great. We know what was happening at that time. Well, it's, it's that thing where you tell a story about if you talk to somebody that's been through something, you know, be it a, a, nasty breakup, a divorce, or they lost their job or something like that. And you talk to them about it the day that it happened. It's probably the most honest version of it you're going to get. When we tell that story five, 10, 15 years from now, you get your reflections on it, your thoughts about it, how you've sort of summed all of that up. And you have a much different version of the facts. Like I, I was in a fire where I was hospitalized for two months. My version of that story is wildly different now than it was the day that it happened. So it's it's one of those things that it's just, I think we have to be aware of when we think about stories like this. And when we and think when, of our own stories. And when we read memoirs. <laughs> yeah, of course. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Beth, for taking the time to do this My today. Pleasure. I appreciate it. And thank you for your role in the film and the series, because this was something that when, while me and my wife are watching this, we're like, okay, thank God. Cause the voice of reason is coming up again, that we would have at least it, when there's moments where you spend a lot of time in these sort of <laughs> these areas where there's pretty long interviews where you're just, we needed a voice of reason and you provide that for the audience. So thank oh, you for that. Thank you. If you ever want to talk off air, you know, to share your thoughts, you know, I'll be happy to gab when we're not recording. Okay. Uh, uh, absolutely. 100%. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to go ahead and end it there. I'm gonna... Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck. Give me hope.
Voice Crack.